Okay, today we're beginning a series called Making the Right Commitments in Your Life. Making the Right Commitments in Your Life. Um, the title of this sermon actually is not, it's not new or anything. It's, it's something that others have used through the years, and I never forget the first time I heard it. Uh, my pastor preached with the ti- this title for the specific verses we're going to be reading later from Jesus. But it was uh, The Farmer, The Rancher, and the henpecked husband. I thought that was hysterical when I heard it the first time. <clears throat> so let's get to it. It's important for you to know that this church and in the kingdom of God, you can't wait for someone to twist your arm or coerce you to make good commitments in your life. We're just not going to do it. We'll put the information out there. Here's commitments that could be made. Here's commitments that God says are good in your life that need to be made. But we're not going to coerce you. We're not going to manipulate you. We're just going to say, here's the option, and you you can choose to do that. Why do we do it? Why is that approach taken, at least from what I do? And it's, it's because this. We want you to have the opportunity to love God and love people. And if you're manipulated or coerced, That's not love. If you're forced to do something, is that love? It's not. So that's God's kingdom. God says, here's the information. You have to figure it out. You see, you're going to have to do the work to love God and to love us. Welcome to the new year. You might be thinking, well, John, we were wanting something a lot more encouraging than that. It is encouraging because this hopefully will motivate you to realize nobody's forcing you, nobody's making you do good things. And I don't know about you, but when I do something good, if I make a right commitment in my life, that feels good. I like myself in those moments a lot better. And you can like yourself a lot more this year when you make the commitments that we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks. You see, God and nobody here is going to beg you or talk you into doing the right thing and to making these commitments. And quite honestly, it's wonderful because we don't have to at this church. We've got plenty of volunteers. Isn't that exciting? And it does take a lot of people to actually make this little church happen. It's amazing what what you guys do to make this happen and and the family that God is creating here. It's just beautiful. But we don't have to coerce. We don't have to. When Harvey texts and says, hey, guys, or when someone in the group texts and says, hey, guys, I'm not going to be able to be there to be able to to greet this Sunday. Harvey's not like, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? Who's going to help fill this spot? That doesn't happen. Within just a few minutes, he's got two or three people saying, hey, I can take it. That's just the way it is, isn't it, Harvey? Why? Because we have people that are serving out of love for you, love for God, and it's absolutely beautiful. But we're not going to come into your life and just shake you and say, hey, this is what you need to do. And we're not going to, we're going to, we're not going to, and you need to know that as people come into this church, we're not going to treat them, if they start whining like a baby, we're not going to treat them like a baby. We're going to treat them like adults. Uh, if they're wallowing in bed on Sunday morning and don't want to come to church, we're not going to go over and start shaking them and say, hey, it's time for you to come to church. 
Why? Because when you wake yourself up as an adult, as a fully grown human being with the capability of getting up and coming to church, you feel good about that. But if we come and shake you every Sunday, I'll never forget my sister. She was so funny. When I was growing up, it was so hard to wake me up in the morning to get me ready for bed, ready for, ready for school. She would at least 10 times every morning come in there, and I knew, you know, as she was trying to get me to get out of bed to come to school, she'd come in, Johnny, it's time to go to bed. Or, gosh, why am I stuck on that? It's time to go to school. Get out of bed. There we go. Get out of bed. It's time to go to school. She would come in and do that every morning, every morning. I put that poor girl through so much, and finally I would drag myself out of bed, and I would barely get ready in time to go up and drive the bus. I do remember one time that my dad was home. He was off work that day, and he heard this going on. He walked into my room, and he just <laughs> yanked the covers off and said, get up. <laughs> That's all it took, just one time, you know. <laughs> dad comes in. My poor sister, I put her through so much, though. And, it, you know, how weird would it be if my dad had to come to my house this morning and <laughs> get up? You have to go to church, pastor. <laughs> that would have been really weird. And it would be really weird for us to have to do that for you, so we don't do it. Aren't you glad? <laughs> We're not going to come beating on your window, your, you know, in your bedroom window or anything, and say, it's time to come to church, Ben. It's time to come to church. We're just not going to do that. Because that wouldn't be you putting yourself into a position of love and showing up. And it's the same for your ministry. It's the same for all the things that we're going to be talking about, the commitments that you can make in people's lives. Not just here, but at work and everywhere. The commitments that you make, you feel good about yourself when you do those things. Have you done the work to decide what you're committed to? Is your, here's the question, is your life committed to doing what you have chosen to love? Have you done the work that it takes for you to choose what your life is committed to? Or are you waiting for other people to tell you, hey, this is what you need to commit your life to? And certainly, if you're looking on Facebook or whatever, Instagram or, the, or just a TV commercial to try to figure out what you need to commit your life to, you're missing the mark and you're not going to be loving your life. You're not going to feel good about yourself. Are you committed to what you love? Are you committed to who you love? Or have you let yourself be committed to someone else's needs? Are you fulfilling someone else's emergencies because they don't take care of themselves? What is it that you're committed to in this life? Or someone else's passions in life, are you committed to that? Or have you developed the passion that God has put in you to be able to commit yourself to the things that you actually love in this life that God has given you to love? Are you going after the God-given desires of your heart? Are you going after the things that God has gifted you to do with your life? When your life is full of activities that you don't love, relationships that you don't love, events that you don't love, spending money on things that you don't love, you're going to lose all your passion for life. You're going to lose your, you're going to be exhausted. You're going to be burned out. 
But on the other hand, I do talk to people a lot that, that you know, they're, they're burned out. But the, the reason they're burned out is not because they're doing things they don't love or with people that they don't love. It's more about being with people or, or it's more about the fact that they forgot that they love these people and forgot that they love these situations that they put themselves into. Now, if I have, uh, if I've had this conversation with you before, please don't think that I'm talking about you. I'm talking about somebody that I talk to outside of the church, but I, I, I'm telling you that because I do have this conversation very often with people. This conversation, it sounds like this. I was talking to a lady one day and she was frustrated with her life. She was tired of her daily life, the grind. You know what I mean? She was a full-time employee. She had a lot going on in her, in her personal life, a lot of commitments in her life that it, she was just overwhelmed in her life. And the question that I asked her that day was this, is there anything that you're committed to that you don't love? And she sat there and she started thinking, and it only took, for, took like 20 seconds for her to start smiling. And she said, no. I love it all. I chose this, didn't I? Yeah. You're doing the things that you love. You work where you love to work. You chose this place. You love the guy that you're with. You love all of the things that you just said that are just exhausting to you. But yet she was smiling and she said, man, yeah, this is the life that I love, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it if I could. And it's so interesting to see her go from one minute ago, she was overwhelmed, hurting, and honestly, she was angry, to just like 20 seconds later, she had a smile on her face and was like, wow, this is the life that I love. You see, you chose your wife. You chose your husband. You chose your kids, kind of. You chose that home that you live in. You chose your church. You know, same, same reaction in the first service. Everybody was good for that. Maybe it was this. So maybe I, maybe I did coerce you. But you chose your friends. And if you didn't. You see, not everyone, though, can say that their life is full of the things that they love. And, and so this, is, in some ways, is a challenge for you to stop and look at your life and say, okay, I'm doing something that I don't really love. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. This is not what my life is supposed to be about. Who are you committed to? What are you committed to? And by all means, have you chosen to love God? Have you chosen that? And are you committed to His mission for your life? Have you chosen that yet? And until you do that with your life, your life is not going to make sense. Another question that we need to ask is this. Is your life committed to what you think is important, but it isn't? Are you committed to what you think is important, but it isn't important? If you're living in past failures, if you're thinking a lot about those past failures that you've got in your life, guess what? You're committed to those past failures. It's time to let them go. They're not important. Who is the oldest person in this room? <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't answer Maybe I should. All right. We'll go with Wes. Wes, we know you're not. We know you're not. Are your past failures important? Come on, tell anybody that's younger than you. Your past failures are not important, are they? They linger. 
but they're not important, and you got to let them go. Your past hurts. They seem to linger. We think about them. We're committed to them. It's time to quit your commitment to them. Let them go. Let them go. A commitment to money. Money seems to be so important. Is it? Not really. No. In fact, the dollar is probably going to go away pretty soon. A commitment to a one-sided relationship where you do and do and do and do and nothing is reciprocated. Guess what? That relationship is not important. You got to let it go. Committing yourself to do something for somebody that they could do for themselves. Is that important? No. If you're doing something for somebody when they could do that same thing for themselves over and over and over, guess what? You're being used and maybe even abused and it's time to let that go because you're not important in that relationship like you think you are. It's called codependency. Another question that we want to ask is this. Are you interested in knowing what God says is important for you to commit to? And the good news is, He's given us all that information. God has already communicated, we just got to find it. He has already given you the ability to know the things that He says are important in your life so that your life can become committed to the things that really matter. And listen, you got to understand this. God's not going to, he's not going to put flyers across the sky behind an airplane and say, here's what you need to do with your life, Matt. Here's how you need to commit your life today. God's not going to do that. He's not going to send emails with advertisements in there saying, here's the God story for the day and you need to line up and do this. He's not going to do that. He's not going to promote something like that. That's not God. Why? Because he looks and he says, all right, you guys are adults. You're human beings. I created you just a little below the angels, but I brought you even above them through what I did on the cross and I made you huge. I made you big. I made you awesome. And you can make good decisions in your life and you can commit yourself to the right people, the right things in the right way. And I've communicated these things and you got to search it. You got to find it out. and You got to implement this in your life. That's God. He doesn't treat us like we're a bunch of whiny babies, teenagers wallowing in the bed. He's not that kind of a God. He's somebody that believes in you. How many of you can appreciate that? Because when you do the right thing, when you make the right commitments in your life, you can also feel good about yourself. When you're not making the right commitments in your life, you don't like yourself. And I would wager that that is one of the biggest reasons we have depression in our world today, especially in America. We're committed to the wrong things. Dr. Luke recorded a story that Jesus told one day. And, and in this story, it's so interesting because Jesus was trying to communicate an attitude of God. Don't you want to know what the attitudes of God look like? He was trying to communicate something important, and, and he really wanted people to get God's perspective. So he gave us this story. He said, a man once gave a, a great banquet and invited a lot of guests. All right, so the man is God. God's going to put on a big banquet, all right? When the banquet was ready, he sent a servant to tell the guests, everything is ready. Please come. One guest after another started making excuses. 
The first one said, I bought some land and I've got to go look it over. <laughs> Please excuse me. I can't come to the banquet. That's the farmer. Another guest said, I bought five teams of oxen and I need to try them out. Please excuse me. That's the rancher. And still another said, I've just now married. I can't be there. That's the henpecked husband. Jesus said, the servant told his master what happened, and the master became so angry, he said, go as fast as you can to every street and alley in town. Bring in everyone who is poor or paralyzed or blind or, blind or lame. And when the servant returned, he said, master, I've done what you told me, and there's still plenty of room for more people. His master then told him, well, go out and go, back in the, go in the back roads and make people come in and so that my house will be full. Not one of the guests I first invited will even get a bite of my food. Listen to the attitude that's there. Not one person that I first invited is even going to get a bite of my food. God sounds pretty ticked right there. What is he saying? He's saying, look, this is common sense. I've done great things for the human race. I believe in these people to, to not try to coerce them, to not try to manipulate them, but to say, here, here's a great gift that I offer you. I invite you to come to this banquet, and they do what? Seriously? you got to go look at a piece of land? you got to go look and, and see how your oxen are doing? What? you got to go and deal with your new marriage? Come on. I have a great thing for you. You need to understand this. That's the attitude that God has towards us. And look what he said. Large crowds were walking along with Jesus. So get the visual. Jesus is walking along, and he turns around to this large crowd, and he says, you cannot be my disciple unless you love me more than you love your father and mother, your wife and your children, your brother and your sisters. You cannot follow me unless you love me more than you love your own life. You cannot be my disciple unless you carry your own cross and follow me. So Jesus starts this with three examples of excuses that people gave, would give him for not following him. And then he says three times, listen, you cannot be my disciple, you cannot follow me, you cannot be my disciple unless you love me, unless you commit yourself to me and love me. So Jesus said, unless you love me more than your mama and daddy, unless you love me more than you love your spouse, unless you love me more than your children, your brothers and sisters, what are we going to do without them? And then he said, you can follow me, you cannot follow me unless you love me more than you love your own life. You can't follow me. And then he says something really interesting. You cannot be my disciple unless you pick up your own cross and carry it. Now look at the word own there. Jesus is saying that there is a weight that is assigned to you by God to carry. There's a burden for you to carry. There's responsibility for you to carry. There's, in other words, commitments for you to make as you follow Christ. And what does that do? It brings meaning and purpose. 
purpose into your life. Those commitments make your life meaningful and purposeful. And in the context of this passage, he says, unless you carry that cross in love, your life is meaningless. He says, if you come in carrying a cross, can you imagine Jesus carrying the cross to Golgotha angrily? Can you imagine him breathing out murderous threats towards you for having to carry that cross? And Jesus says, your responsibility in this relationship is to carry the cross that you must bear, the weight of this relationship, the weight of your commitments, and you need to do it in love, not angrily. And so often we go through this life, and every time someone dies, every time something difficult happens, you lose a job, you don't get a promotion, whatever it is that you're going through, we just get angry and frustrated at God about it. And God's like, no, you've got to love me more than that stuff. In this story, Jesus is giving us insight into God's perspective of us. And God has invited everyone to join him for this banquet. It's a wonderful banquet, especially when we get to heaven. It's going to be an awesome thing. And this isn't an, listen, this isn't an invitation like to some Hollywood party where all the, the Hollywood stars are going to be mingling and walking around. You would make some room in your schedule for that, right? And, and this isn't an invitation like to the White House where you could go in and see all of the history and everything. Whether you like the president or not, doesn't matter. You'd probably still make, you know, if you got an invitation to go and see something like that, you probably would set your schedule aside a little bit for that. Jesus is saying this is something way bigger, way bigger than any kind of invitation you could ever receive on planet earth. This is an invitation to the house of the almighty creator of the universe and beyond. And Jesus is trying to communicate how big of a deal this is to uh, that should be a big deal to us. Well, what happens? Well, well we just shrug it off. Doesn't matter. Why do we do that? Well, it's religion. It's religion. We just don't want to talk about religion. Well, it's it's not going to be that fun. I've actually had people tell me I, I, I might have a problem going to heaven. I was like, why? Well, it doesn't sound like it's going to be very fun. Well, I don't know who you've been listening to. What are we going to do? Sit on a cloud and just kind of strum harps? Okay, seriously? You're going to go with the cartoons for that information? Well, there's differences between God and me. And he likes things I don't like, and he doesn't like things that I do like. So I really, I think I'm going to pass. Really? Well... You know, I like the idea of other gods that I could make my own choice as to what I want to believe. I actually had a lady one day at a UPS store. I was talking to her. I was trying to lead her to Christ. And she said, you know, I'm okay. I I really, my my God is the Hindu God. I said, really? Why why have you chosen that? Yeah. She said, well, the one that, that is... You know, he's hedonistic, and that's kind of my approach to life. I like that. Okay, that's really interesting. We just shrug it off. And Jesus is like, this is a huge deal, guys. Big deal. 
And we just, well, whatever. I got plans. I got my own plans. I got my own dreams. I certainly don't want God telling me what to commit my life to and do what he wants me to do for the rest of my life. Well, how's that working for you so far? Then I had someone tell me, well, you know what? Some of the nicest people I know, their lifestyle and the things that they want in life don't match up to what Jesus' lifestyle would want, you know, what he, what he demands. And so, he, and, and the scripture says, apparently, that these people are going to hell and God's going to put them there. And so, I don't want to know a God like that. I don't want to have anything to do with him. If he's going to send my friend to hell, then I don't want to have anything to do with that. You know what that is? That is an absolute excuse. It is no different than the excuses we read earlier for you not to love God. You're just looking for an excuse. And you know what is sad? Is God looks at that and he's like, after all that I've done, you're not even looking into it. After how much I absolutely do love you, you're not looking into it. And how much I do love your friend, you're not even checking it out. Can you imagine how ludicrous these excuses are to God? You see, Jesus gave us some insight into this and how God thinks. And it says that this farmer declined the invitation because he said, you know what, I bought some property, I need to go look at the property. And and let me ask a question, who owns that property? (laughs) The farmer's like... Yeah, I bought a piece of property. It's mine. I'm going to go look at it. And Jesus is like, that belongs to me. The guy with the oxen, you know, I need to go check out my teams of oxen. I need to go see how they run and how they work. Well, that's about the same as you and me saying, well, you know what? I got a new game on my phone. I need to go try it out. But thanks, but no thanks, Jesus. Appreciate that invitation. I got a new car. I'm going to go test it out in the country this weekend. Thanks, but no thanks, Jesus. And then God is like, you've got to be kidding me. Seriously? You have nothing without me. You're breathing my air, God says. You're drinking my water. You're eating my food that I've provided. You're using my technology. Everything that you think is yours is me. Your skin is made from my dirt. And it's going to return to that because it's all on loan to you from me. And Jesus is like, you need to understand the attitude that God has about our excuses. Our excuses are nothing compared to understanding His love for us and what He's done for us and how much gratitude we should have towards Him for for what He has done to have this kind of a relationship with Him. It's commitment that we can make that shows that kind of gratitude. And then Jesus says there's this guy that just got married who needed to tend to his husbandly duties. And he's like, Jesus, you know, come on, I just got married. I got this new wife, got to take care of her. And, and she's my wife, and I'm going to do what I need. To, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. See, look, I had to learn this the hard way. My wife never belonged to me. She was always his before 
and after and during the I do and all of that between. You understand? She belonged to him. Your husband belongs to God. Your wife belongs to God. And more than that, you need to understand that he has purpose and meaning for your life. And if you don't love that spouse more than you love God, you're missing the mark. And Jesus said you can't follow him. This is such a hard thing for us to grasp. You cannot be my disciple unless you love me more than you love your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters. You cannot follow me unless you love me more than your own life. You can't be my disciple unless you carry your cross, your own cross, and follow me. Man, that seems so hard. What is he saying here? Is he saying that you can't love your mom and dad, your brother, your sister, your spouse, your children? Is that what he's saying? No. What he's saying is you've got to love me more than you love them because the truth is until that happens, you don't even know how to really love your spouse. Until that happens, you don't really know how to love your children and train them up. You don't know how to take care of the people in your life and love them until you love God first. He says, you love them because you love me. That's a whole different reason than you love them because of what they can do for you. So you need to know that God will give you tests along the way to show your love for him. You ever been tested? He will give you tests along the way to show that you love him. Opportunities, decisions that you need to make in order to show, God, I love you more than I love these people, more than I love this. You're going to have those tests, and so many of you have already gone through those tests. And you're going to continue to go through those tests. Why? Because God gives them so that you can show that you love Him. A loved one dies. God, I love you anyway. You lose that job. God, I love you anyway. I'm committed to you anyway. You go bankrupt. God, I love you anyway. Your children walk away. God, I love you anyway. That's the commitment that you make. So many of us are way more in love with our lives than we should be. He said, if you don't love me more than you love your own life, you can't follow me. And when God says, I want you to go and do this. No, God, I've got this going on. Brings David, would you come? Well, God, I, I got this new house. I can't go do that now. I got this going on and too bad. No, I want you to go do this for me. I need you to go do this for me. Well, God, my plan is to grow my business. My plan is to, to make this grow and be strong. And then maybe I'll come back on the backside. I knew a man... That at one time in Oklahoma City, he owned the largest moving company in the state of Oklahoma. He came to our church. His wife had to pick him up from the nursing home or the, the assisted living place that he lived at. And she would bring him to church. He wasn't old. He had all of his brain faculties, but he had a form of, I assume it was muscular dystrophy, 
His body was all shriveled. He was in a wheelchair. And when he talked, he slurred very big, but you could really understand what he said. And, and I went in. He asked me to come and, and invited me to come and visit with him where he lived at this home that he lived at. And so I remember going in and I found his room and I was thinking, well, I'll spend 15 minutes, 15, 30 minutes here, you know, saying hi and seeing how he's doing. And I went in and he saw me come into his room and he just lit up and he said, all right, we're going to lunch. Come on, you're going to eat with me. It's like, oh man, this is going to be at least an hour, you know. And it was easy to see how he built such a big, great business because he was such a persuasive, full of personality kind of person, even though he was locked inside this body now. And when, like I said, when he talked, he would slur, you know, and, and stuff. This is meant to be humorous. It's okay to laugh, right? I wore glasses at the time. And we started eating lunch, and he was chewing and eating at the same time. And it was going, you all know, I am a germaphobe, and it was going all over my face and on my glasses. I was trying to be as, as polite as I could without going, you know, and I mean, it was, I mean, it was bad. It was bad. It was on my lips. It was everywhere, you know. But I sat and listened, and I was able to press through that and just listen to him. And he was telling me how driven he used to be, how big his business used to be. And first I thought he just wanted to kind of impress me, you know, with what kind of person he was, what he used to be. All of that went away, not by his choice, his body just shriveled up and he was stuck. But he did find one thing that didn't go away and would never go away. And that was Jesus. And you need to know that everything that you're worried about today as you look into this new year, whatever it is that you're worried about, whatever it is that you're afraid of, all of it is going to go away. At some point, it's not going to last. And this is why Jesus said, don't worry. What is he saying? What was he saying? He was saying, focus on what I'm doing. My plan is so big. My plan is so huge. I have a banquet prepared for you that you cannot even begin to imagine how amazing it is. And if you will open your heart and your eyes to believe and trust me, then all the things that you're worried about, those are all going to go away. And unfortunately, yes, your spouse is going to die, your children. And listen, I don't mean to be negative. I'm just telling you the reality of all of it is going to go away, except for one thing, what he is doing. So don't worry about it. Trust him. Peter wrote it this way. 
He said, your life is a journey. You must travel with a deep consciousness of God. Now think about what that means, a deep consciousness. That means you're thinking about him, deeply concerned about who he is and what he likes and doesn't like, a consciousness of him. It cost God plenty to get you out of the, out of the dead-end, empty-headed life you grew up in. Look what he says. Peter is saying, count the cost. Think about what Jesus did for you. It cost him plenty to do what he did for you. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. He died like an unblemished sacrificial lamb. In other words, he didn't deserve it. And this was no afterthought. He planned this. Even though it, it has only lately, at the end of the ages, become public knowledge. In other words, Jesus came and did this and it's become public knowledge. What God has planned through all the ages. God always knew He was going to do this for you. It's because of this sacrificed Messiah, whom God then raised from the dead and glorified, that you trust God, that you know how you have a, that you have a future in God. You know that. And Peter says, think about what God has done for you. Be grateful for it. Now that you've cleaned up your lives by following the truth, Love one another as though your life depended on it. Your new life is not your old life. Your old birth came from, the, from mortal sperm. Your new birth comes from God's living word. He says, just think, a life conceived by God himself. That's why the prophet said, the old life is a grass life. It's beauty as short-lived as wildflowers. Grass dries up, flowers wilt. God's word goes on forever and ever. This is the word that conceived the new life in him. His word will never fail. And what he has promised will never fail you. John, would you read verses 24 and 25 there? promises, his invitation, it's sure to happen. I want to read Hebrews 13, 5, let your lives be without the love of money. Why? Because money is not important. Don't love it. Love God more than you love money. Jesus said that. And be content with things you have. For he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's a promise. What is that? That's God's commitment to you. He's committed himself to you. Have you committed yourself to him? And so Jesus gave us this story. And he's like, hey, Here's some insight into God's attitude. When somebody just says, hmm, I'd rather not. I'm going to shrug off the kingdom of God. Ah, it doesn't matter what Jesus did. 
Some people wrote about that. I don't believe it. You just shrug it off. God's like, wow. Seriously? No more excuses. Jesus said, this is something that God saw worthy to die for himself. And you know, the only reason we've got this message today is because the saints of old were willing to die for it themselves. And they passed it down to us. What are you going to do with your life? What are your commitments? Have you committed to Him and the work that He wants to do? Or have you just, ah, I got a church if I wake up on Sunday morning? Well, John didn't call me after I missed a few weeks. Really? I'm not going to beg you to come to church. If I call you, it's because I love you, not because I'm begging you. It's your choice. And if you come for any other reason than you love God and love us, we don't want you here. If you gave $100,000 in the offering today, you did it for any other reason than you love God and you love us we don't want your money neither does God what are you committed to would you bow your heads time to let go of things that aren't important. The past, your failures, the pains, those aren't important. They're real. Don't get me wrong. They're real. But God will heal those if you'll let them go. Trust Him with it. What are you worried about? It's not important. All of it's going to wither away anyway. The only thing that's important is that you begin to have that relationship with Christ. You accept his invitation to the banquet. No more excuses. No more. If you think you're too smart for this, well, I challenge you. You haven't begun to really understand what God has done and who he really is no more excuses say God I thank you for the invitation and today I accept you I don't have anything better to do in this life than to serve and love you and I come to you today and I say thank you for the invitation and I accept it God, I want to get to know who you are and what you like and what you don't like and I will accommodate for you for the rest of my life to the best of my ability and I ask you for help. Help me to walk with you. Help 
to love you. And in so doing, I believe that I'll be able to start loving the people in my life the way you taught, you will teach me, my spouse, my children, my friends, my church family. God, you'll help me to know how to, how to love, teach me, and give you my heart and my life in Jesus' name. your heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want to give an opportunity for maybe those that say, yes, this is a new day. This is a new beginning for me. No more excuses. I'm going to get to know who He is and get into that relationship with God. And I accepted that today. I just want to give you an opportunity to say, John, that was me. And right where you are, just look up at me until my eyes catch yours right where you're seated. Anybody this morning? 